Thank you so much for being here, hanging out with us today. Hopefully today is going to be an enjoyable one for you. So this morning, I want to talk to you about one of our core values at Acts Church. Um, we have 13 core values, and these are the things that we believe are like most important as we continue on in our, in our journey as a church. When we started, we are about, um, about six years old as a church, almost seven years old um, as a church. When we started, we asked God, would you basically show us who we need to be? Would you give us the things that are most important for us to be as we continue forward? Because we believe that God asked us to come to this area to be able to reach specific people. So we knew that he had to give us a specific DNA to reach those specific people. And values are so important. I don't know if you really think about it on a regular basis, but whatever values you put at the center of your life, at the core of your life, that's going to direct where you go in your life. That's how important it is. So when we talk about our core values, for us, it's like, this is really, really important because this is going to direct us to where we need to be. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. As I was growing up, um, one of the things that really, really frustrated me, um, and I'd actually say, beyond frustration, you know how there's like things that they annoy you, like things like pet peeves or whatever, like someone does something and it kind of irritates you, but then there's this whole other level of things where people do something where like it's not a frustration feeling like oh that's irritating but it's like a ah I want to punch you in the face type feeling (laughs) you've had it okay yeah you know what I'm talking about well for me as as I was growing up one of the things that that stood out for me of like it really I mean just infuriated me um was the the feeling of of classism I don't know if you really think about that, but that, that idea of like classism, like basically treating people different as though there are levels of people. Like, well, you know, these people are here and, and these people are here. And it could come for a multitude of different reasons. It could be, it could be race, religion, gender. Uh, it could be um, whether or not they have finances, what their status is in the community, if they have the right last name, if they go to the right school, whatever it might be. Um, it would just absolutely grate against me when I saw this classism, where people would treat people different depending on these these, these different things. Um, and I remember um, kind of dealing with this. Um, maybe for some of you, you've, you've experienced this. If you grew up in my age, although I'm sure it's, it's different for each um, bracket, you guys would know what yours would be. But for me, like I remember that when I was in middle school, just going into high school, that all of the kids who had money and were cool wore Abercrombie and Fitch. That was my generation, okay? They all wore their Abercrombie and Fitch, and they all smelled like the store, because everything, they wore the cologne, so the store was wafted out. They all smelled like the store. And, I mean, you had to have money to be in that crowd. You had to have money to be able to buy that perfume, especially, just for reference, I came from the generation of the popped collar polo, and not a single pop collar polo. It was where you put two polos on and pop both the collars, so you had two polos with two different layers. So it wasn't just you had to be able to afford an, a polo from Abercrombie. You had to be able to afford two polos for Abercrombie Fitch just to have one outfit. Crazy expensive, right? But it weeded them out, right? The people who don't have the money to buy two polos and pop the collars, and the people who didn't have the money to buy that expensive clone and didn't smell like the store, they didn't belong in, in that crowd. 
And I just hated that, where they would treat people different because maybe their, their family didn't have as much money or, or a situation like this. You've probably likely experienced this. I remember um, years ago, for me, probably the biggest one I saw is I really never grew up with, with anything in, in the way of, um, of, of money. Our family uh, is like all the way generations back are like the self-made, like trying to scrape a living, start a business, run it yourself. And, and, and that's always been my life and it's just my experience. So for my family, very much so is like, it was never like money in surplus. Like I remember when my mom went to go looking for a, a car because the car she had was absolutely falling apart, even with a mechanic husband who would patch it together. And she went to a dealership to try to look at cars and she said that she remembered that the the people who were salesmen wouldn't even waste their time talking to her because she drove in in such a piece of junk car. And you realize all of a sudden, like, how people, they just paint you as, like, well, I'm not going to waste my time with them because those people are like this, and they're going to be a waste of my time. Now, some of the experiences we have, some of the times we've been mistreated, we brought it on ourselves, and, and that's just to be expected, right? I mean, there are some times where people have been really rude to you or mistreated you, and as you were kind of driving away or walking away, you're like, yeah, I was kind of a jerk. I guess I kind of deserve that, to be honest with you, right? We can walk ourselves into situations where we cause problems for ourselves and like, yeah, that was, that was probably kind of me. But then there are these other experiences you have where you get treated poorly or you get treated differently for no reason at all. Has anyone ever had the experience where all of a sudden you get painted with the exact same brush as somebody who's like you in one small detail? It could be your gender, it could be um, your social status, it could be your race, and all of a sudden someone treats you as though, well, you're just like all of them. And they just treat you like, like you're not a human being, you're just, you're just one, of, one of them, and there's this classism. And when you feel that, it's, it's, it's disgusting. It's hurtful because it's, it's not the fact that you just maybe put a, a wrong set of, of ideas on top of me. You didn't even treat me like a human being. I'm just one of them, whatever them is. Now, for me, like I said, it was, it was, it was a lot more financial is what I experienced, status, you know, of who you were. Didn't have the name, didn't have the money in that. But... All that being said, I don't want to pick on just people who had money. In fact, um, that's not the point of this. The idea isn't that there's right people or wrong people. And for me, I could have gotten that, that mindset. But actually, believe it or not, as I was growing up and walking through this idea of understanding um, what it's like to, to grow up in this world and, and the idea of classism, the quote that came that somebody shared with me that affected me more than anything else on this topic was a quote by an extremely rich man, which is kind of funny, right? There was this guy named Malcolm Forbes, and Malcolm Forbes is the son of B.C. Forbes, who started Forbes magazine. Now, mega rich. B.C. started the magazine. Malcolm took the magazine from good um, to astronomical. I mean, this guy made hundreds of millions of dollars, crazy amounts of money. He was well known as like basically being a representative for the wealthy community as the Forbes, right? They literally came out with like the list every year. He was like the the poster child for what it means to be wealthy and rich, to be successful. The man had literally a giant collection of motorcycles, rare and exotic. He had mega yachts. He had a personal Boeing 727 that he named the capitalist tool. That's funny to me. He spent $2.5 million on his 70th birthday. $2.5 million on one party, where he flew people in, 
brought them to this. Now, that being said, if I'm really, really honest with you, you have probably spent more money on a birthday in relation to your income than that was for him. That's not that much money in his world, which is crazy to think about. But this man was, was very, very wealthy. He had existed in this idea of all these classes and the mega rich, and yet this quote that he said, it stuck with me my entire life growing up once I heard it as a, as a child, and I realized this is so integral to the idea of, of what is classism and how you treat people. Listen what he says. This is Malcolm Forbes. He says, You can easily judge the character of a man by how he treats those who can do nothing for him. Let me read that to you again. You can easily judge the character of a man by how he treats those who can do nothing for him. Now, I think this maybe has even more weight considering that it comes from a man who was mega rich because he had been in circles where he had seen these people probably rise from nothing to something. He had seen these people who were supposed to be absolute you know, towers as far as, as, as success and, and character and, and, and accomplishments. And yet he said, if I was to really break down for you what character looks like, it's how you treat somebody who can't give you something back. It's not about how you would do a favor for somebody who can return the favor or how you would help somebody who can help you back or how you would treat someone kind who you know can treat you kind back, right? But, but how would you treat somebody who isn't going to be able to return the favor? How would you treat somebody who can't help you out, right? I think that probably in his circles, as he looked around at all these rich people, I'm sure they were very generous, but most likely generous with other people who were generous who could pay them back, Right? Easy to throw a $2.5 million party when next week you're getting invited to a million-dollar party at your friend's. But he says the character, it comes from what you would do, how you would treat somebody who can't help you back. It said, ladies, any single ladies, not yet married, still in the dating pool, that if you go on a date with a man, they say, don't judge his character, don't judge his generosity, his kindness by how he talks to you. Judge it on how he talks to the server who comes to your table. How does he talk to somebody who his interaction with him can't get him anything? Is he kind? Is he caring? Is he generous with that server? Does he leave a nice tip? That you'll see far more about somebody, how they'll treat somebody who who can't reward them in some way. This idea has always been something in, in my heart. And when we got to plan our church, this was still something that was kind of in our heart collectively. Now, it didn't come from, from Malcolm Forbes. It actually came from our faith. But, but here's what we said, it, and this is one of our core values. Acts Church is every person is valuable. Every person is valuable. Here's how we say it. Jesus was never a respecter of persons, and neither are we. Whether rich or poor, scholar or uneducated, Acts will treat you the same and take time to show you love. No one's too big or too little to be part of our community. Like I said, this didn't come from Mr. Forbes. As interesting as his comment was, this came from Jesus. As we were reading his life, we saw that Jesus, he absolutely lived this life of proving that every person is valuable. As he walked through his life, both by how he talked and then especially by how he lived, he just made clear um, in in a multitude of ways. And let me tell you, the era where Jesus existed in, was even more segregated and even more class-ridden than we are today. As much as I know sometimes it feels like we haven't made any progress, I'm telling you, where we're at is actually pretty surprising. Because when I read you these verses, you will see that even people around him who were good people, they, I mean, completely thought that it was normal for these classes to exist. 
that you would treat people different based on who they were. And I want to show you just a couple quick glimpses of how Jesus interacted with these people and how he demonstrated how he valued people. Let me show it to you like this. Let's take a look at Mark. In Mark verses 10, uh, excuse me, chapter 10, verses 11 through 13, there's a story. It says, One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, Let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. So people had heard about Jesus, that he was going around healing people, blessing people. And of course, all these moms said, we want to take our kids and have him bless them. Maybe there's something wrong with them right now. He can heal it before it even comes out. Maybe just a blessing over top of them could protect them as they go in their life. And his disciples basically stop him and say, listen, he doesn't have time for this. Now, his disciples were not mean guys. This would be very, very culturally acceptable. I really believe that if we were watching this interaction, the parents would have brought their kids and said, can we bring our kids to Jesus? And they would have said, no, he doesn't have time. And they would have said, okay, we understand. Because in this culture, they weren't anything like us, where our American culture, we worship our kids. Almost to the point where we can sometimes make them our idols, where that's the most important thing in our life. Not saying you shouldn't value your kids, but I mean, our society is so much built around kids. Where in these cultures, they weren't. Kids were a a lower-class citizen. Men and women talked up here, and kids were slowly kind of brought into it. When you became a man, you got to interact like that, but it was a whole different culture. And I really don't believe that even his disciples said, listen, he doesn't have time to be blessing your kids. He's teaching the gospel right now. He's teaching stuff. I don't think the parents were probably even mad. They probably went, yeah, we understand. You know, we're just trying. But Jesus calls out. He says, wait a second, wait a second. I I know that culturally that might seem appropriate. Yeah, I wouldn't have time, but, but that's not me. No, I'll actually bring the kids in here. I have just as much time for these young little children to, to bless them and to talk to them as I do the 70-year-old rabbi who wants to talk to me about deep issues of theology. Is I have just as much time and just as much value for these, these young kids as these old men who want to talk to me. And Jesus revealed something that was totally antithetical to the culture. He pointed out the fact that we never, ever have to wait to be valuable to God. We never have to wait to be valuable to God. There isn't some sort of process we go through where we get old enough or we we walk out our faith long enough or we do enough where then all of a sudden God actually values us. He's the same value attributed to these young kids as this, this old man who knows everything about the scriptures. He's just as valuable. Jesus shows the age doesn't matter. Really, like I said, the progression. It's not like you need to know something or be something before I would interact with you. Jesus continues along, and we see this other awesome story where he's, he's traveling and he gets thirsty, so he stops by a well. We pick this story up in, in John 4, verses 5 through 10. It says, Eventually, he came to a Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some Taco Bell. They just came out with a new crunch wrap if you didn't see that. Don't eat it. Don't eat it. Anyways, the woman, listen, the woman was surprised. 
for Jews refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. We see this really interesting interaction with Jesus where we, we get to see the picture of race come in between people. The Jewish people were very, very proud of their heritage. And what the Samaritans were is they were basically the Jewish people, the people of God, had intermarried with people who were the pagan culture, and the Samaritans were the result. And for the Jews, they basically said, those people are a half-breed. They're not a full Jew. They don't belong in our culture. They're a different class of citizen, and we have nothing to do with them. We don't talk to the Samaritans. I mean, so much so, we see the reaction, right? Jesus, he just asked kindly, hey, could I have a drink? And you see the Samaritan's woman response. Her response was sharp, wasn't it? I mean, Jesus is literally just like, hey, could I have a drink? And she's like, what are you doing asking me for a drink? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You don't ask me for a drink. It's like, whoa, right? Like, that's, that's a pretty sharp response. I just said, could I have a drink? But we see Jesus' response back to her isn't sharp. He just says, oh, if you only knew... If you knew who was talking to you, you wouldn't have such a sharp response. And, and we, we see the reality, I think, so much where this woman who was a Samaritan, the problem is, is I'm sure that she had been mistreated a million times by Jewish men. She'd been mistreated a million times by Jewish people. So that even probably as she was approaching this well, she says, there's a Jewish guy. Let's just wait and see what he has to say. Let's just wait. You know he's going to say something just to dig in on me, something. And as soon as he says something, Jesus doesn't even say something offensive. She just kind of snaps on him, right? Because she's just already waiting. You know where you do that, where you play out all the possibilities in your mind, and you already have like three or four bullets already loaded in the chamber, right? Like, oh, if you say this, I'll say this, right? And, hey, could I have a drink? Yeah, and she just comes off, right, you know? But it's so interesting because Jesus shows the fact that, that race, where, where, like she said, I mean, she identifies it. You don't talk to people like me. He says, yeah, I do. In fact, he goes on to have this conversation. He says, I only, not only just want to talk to you, I, I want to offer you a tremendous gift. I want to offer you an amazing gift that you don't even understand yet. And he interacts with this, with this woman. Now, what's interesting is, at the same time, he is crossing a whole other cultural norm. Man, his disciples come back from Taco Bell, right? Couple crunch wraps, couple gorditas, chalupas, whatever you want to say, but... They come back, and listen what they say in John 4, 27. Just then his disciples came back, and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? You see, at this time, ladies, sorry to say, and I'm happy it's not the case now, at this time, women, completely a second class. I mean, not even close. When they come back, these are good guys. These aren't evil guys who are his followers. These are disciples. They're learning with Jesus. But still, when they come back, they go, why is he talking to her? We, we don't talk to women. We don't talk to just random women on the street. That's not, that's not right. In fact, to be honest with you, it's mildly inappropriate. In this culture, it would be inappropriate for me to just approach your wife and start talking to her. This is another man's wife, and it could be even considered inappropriate, where they go, why in the world is he talking to this woman? It doesn't even make sense. A lot of times the women weren't as educated back then. They didn't know as much, so they're like, what, you know, what's Jesus doing? Now, I do love the fact that we see the fact that they have cultural bias, but also they had spent enough time around Jesus to realize it's smarter just to keep your mouth shut, right? 
You see it? They're like, no one actually asked. They had like one too many times asking dumb questions where Jesus responded, where they're like, what's he doing? They're like, don't say anything. Just let it go. Don't say it. No, don't, don't, don't. But Jesus reveals in the story, man, in this, in this situation with, with race and with gender, he's talking all about the kingdom of God. And that's, that's how, how the world will be when the world's reformed. But also, but also even here, because the Bible points to the fact that we try to establish God's kingdom the way that, the way that it should be right here and now. He, he points to this woman and basically is communicating to his disciples, to her, there's no such thing as a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. There's, there's no such thing as a, as a first class, and, and you, have, you got everything right, and you're the right race, and you have the right situation, you came from the right bloodline, and then there's a second class that doesn't really have the same place. Jesus demonstrates, you no, know, every, everybody has value. We all have the same value. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what gender or race you are. We're, we're all in this together. He continues on, and we see this really interesting interaction. Actually, this would take place um, before this last one, but... He goes and he finds this guy named Matthew. And he asks Matthew to come and be his disciples. Here's what it says in, in Matthew 9, 9 through 12. It says, As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees, and these are the guys, I mean, they had all the religion figured out. I mean, these super religious dudes. When they saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Now, friends, in in this culture, when we talk about status in our culture now and how we treat people different depending on, on what they make or maybe depending on what decisions they make and you know how there can be maybe a job you might take that has a stigma or, or something you do or who you are that might kind of degrade your character or people would look at you different? In this culture, a tax collector was the lowest of the low. I mean, lowest of the low. There are multiple stories of people, like one time where Jesus saw a guy uh, praying, you know, and they basically would, would call out these people, these tax collectors, the bottom of the barrel. They're just scum, nothing. And Jesus is, is asking this guy to be his disciple, but not only that, then he says, hey, Jesus, would you come back and hang out with all my friends? And he gets all his other tax collector friends and all their friends, which most likely if you're a tax collector, your friends are other people that nobody wants to be friends with. They're all the other people who are like, don't hang out with those people, right? And he goes and he, he sits down and has dinner with them. Now, again, to take and apply us to culture, right? Like I said, tax collector, lowest of the low, that's because often these guys were Jewish. Matthew is Jewish. But the people who were uh, Jewish people believed that they had basically become traitors. They had turned their back on their people and now worked for the Roman government. Not only that, but Jesus sits down and has a meal with them. And in this culture, sitting down to have a meal is like saying, we are best friends. You don't sit down and you don't have a meal with somebody unless you're close with them. It's establishing friendship. It's establishing relationship. Even the way they ate portrayed that. Back in this time, what they would do is they would all kneel together around a low table, and there would be a big bowl that would be put in the middle, and they would all pick out of the same bowl and eat. It was this very communal, we're together, we're equals, we're friends, we're family. So eating together communicated this message that that we're not just like, oh, he ate a meal there, but like he's saying, man, we're on the same page. And these Pharisees can't stand it. They go, doesn't he know anything about our, our culture? 
about the status that we have, that those people are the lowest of the low, and you do not hang out with them if you're up here. If you're a rabbi, rabbi, top of the, top of the class, man, man, tax collector, bottom of the class. You two don't hang out. You don't belong together. And Jesus just pushes right through and just explodes all their preconceived notions, all their biases of what status means. He demonstrates the fact that, that when it comes to God's kingdom, when it comes to God, our status with man has no effect on our status with God. Our status here in, in this world, wherever we might find ourselves on that totem pole you might picture in your mind or, or in our culture where someone might treat you, wherever it is that you feel that you fall on there, it never affects your status with God. He says that we're equals. We sit down at the same table together and we eat together, that you have value, that I believe you're important. Whether or not you're here or you're here in the culture, it doesn't matter to me. To me, you're just another person I want to spend time with. Jesus demonstrated through his life, through his teaching, that our value with God is given by him, not earned as we're here. For us as a core value, that means that we believe and we want to put at the root of our church that every person is valuable. Every person. It means that we believe, as far as Acts Church, that value is intrinsically given by God, never earned. That whatever you've accomplished in your life, wherever you've gone, that doesn't give you your value. Your value was given to you at birth from God. That you're valuable, whoever you are, as you said. We believe that all of our differences, all these things that could separate us, and gender and race and, and status and age, that all these things that could separate us, they all fade away and dissolve in light of our unity in Jesus. That when we start talking about Jesus, all these other things, they just seem to get washed away and disappear. Listen to how Paul puts it as he's writing to the church of Galatia. Galatians three twenty six through 28. It says, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What it means for Acts Church is that we believe that everyone has an equal opportunity to be used by God. We don't believe that as we talk to people that we, we say, well, that person, God's going to really use them, but, but that person, I don't really know that God would use them. We believe that each of us have intrinsic value and you have the same opportunity to be used by God as the person on your left or the person on your right. It's the reason why as a church we give the exact same opportunities to men or women from any class, from any race, from anything. It doesn't matter to us as far as as they becoming leaders or helpers or, or subgroup leaders in our church. That's not the point. It means that we embrace and we love diversity in our church. I love, as our church has continued to grow, that we have more diversity in our church. It brings us a wider scope, a wider spectrum of understanding. And it's the reason why, as a church, we have very few things that we absolutely will not tolerate in the sin spectrum. But it's why, as a church, we absolutely never tolerate racism. Because it's so antithetical to this. That racism, when we hear it in people, we immediately call it out and say, that has to change or you have to go. That's not here. Because we believe that every person is of equal value. It also means, please, if you, if you look around at our culture and you think, I'm a minority, please don't run because we need you. We need you here. Because all of us need friends that are different than us. I'm going to talk about that more in a second. 
But as we continue to grow as a church and we become more diverse, we love it and we embrace it. It means that for us as a church, because we believe that every person is valuable, we serve people who will never, ever serve us back. We go and we serve people through things like Hope Week, through events we do. We go and we serve people that we don't ever expect some sort of payment back. We don't expect to give a favor to them so they can give a favor to us or to, to win something so we, we, they, they owe us something. That's never the point, that we do it just because we actually believe they have value. It means that as a church, we treat our kids with the same value we treat our adults. That when we talk about Axe Church, Axe Kids is Axe Church. That we don't separate it in our mind. We consider it one church together. That for us as believers, we don't believe that it's any different if a three-year-old is here on the weekend that we're serving and and communicating Jesus' love to as it is if there's a 93-year-old who's here in our service that we're communicating Jesus to. That everyone has the same value. That sometimes when people ask me about, oh, how many people attend your church, I'll share it. I don't share the kid's number with the adult number to try to pat it, to pat myself on the back. I share it because I firmly believe we are all the church. They're not the church of tomorrow. They're the church of today. The church of tomorrow is their kids. That's the church of tomorrow, right? We believe that we are all of equal value. It's the reason why we put finances and energies and efforts into our Axe Kids program to such a substantial uh, means. It is the reason why we as a church do ministry for those who cannot support this ministry. And let me, let me explain this one to you, because this is one of the defining factors that you'll note at Acts Church. For us as a church, we believe that every person is valuable. And specifically, when, when we asked God who we were to reach, God asked us to reach those who other churches weren't reaching. And if I'm to be really, really honest with you, very few churches are reaching towards people who can't then give money back to the church. It's a lot easier to serve people who can then serve you back financially to continue on your ministry. But we don't believe that. We believe that every person is valuable. And we specifically reach into people's lives who, at the time being, they can't possibly. Let me tell you, it's a lot easier to take and try to reach into and help somebody who's a middle-class, you know, dual-income family who can then say, oh, yeah, it'd help. I'd love to support this. Than it is the single mom who's just getting started who says, every dollar has to go to diapers or I can't eat by the end of the week. But we believe both are equally valuable. And we believe specifically for our church, we've intentionally reached into those communities and said, we want to be the church for those who says, I can't help out right now. And we say, it doesn't matter. You're just as valuable to God. It's the reason why we stay so lean as a church for the size church we are. It's the reason why we we keep our overhead low and we keep our costs down because we never, ever want to lose that idea that we're reaching for those people who can't possibly help support what we do, that we want to exist for those people as well. We believe that every person is valuable. Well, what does this mean for you? If you're part of Acts Church, this is your church, then you are Acts Church. And it means that you have to believe that every person is valuable as well. It means that whatever your background is, and I understand that all of us were raised in in, in different things, but whatever it is, if you've accepted Jesus into your heart, there is no more room in your heart for sexism, for racism, for classism. If you've accepted Jesus into your heart, there's no more room for those things. There's no more room for those biases. He, he pushes them out because when we realize that I just needed Jesus, that there was nothing I could do, 
it puts us on an equal playing field with everyone else. You realize we're all in the same boat. Yeah, I know we might have some cultural differences. You might have some, some thought differences, some belief differences, but, but we're all in the same boat of needing Jesus. And that sexism, that racism, that classism, it, it, it has to be pushed out. If you feel that stuff creeping back onto you, you have to kill it. It doesn't belong in your lives as a Jesus follower. Now, when I say sexism, and I say racism, and I say classism, just to be really real with you, it goes both ways. Don't think that when I say sexism, I just mean men treating women poorly. I mean women treating all men the same, thinking they're all the same. Don't think that when I say racism, I just mean majority treating minority bad. I also mean minority. You can't paint the majority as saying they're all the same either. That's still racism. I do mean when I talk about classism, that if you're from lower income and, and you, know, you think people always want to put me down, well, you can't look up and just paint everybody who makes a certain amount the same person. That's just as bad as them looking down on you. All those things go both directions, and we can't have that in our heart. We believe that every person is valuable. We don't treat people differently based on those things. We can't because we're equal when we see our need for Jesus. You need to make room in your heart for people who are not like you. You need to make room in your life for people who are not like you. You need to join a subgroup, and you need to join a team. At X Church, we talk about those all the time. Join a subgroup, join a team. Join a subgroup, join a team. And, and those serve a multitude of different things. But if I can be really real with you, one of the biggest things that joining a subgroup and joining a team is, is it avails you to people who are different than you. It makes you have experiences with people who share completely different perspectives than you. When you join a subgroup, we don't split subgroups by social status, by race, by gender. Only gender if they want a specific study, and that's it. But we don't say, well, you know, these people wouldn't hang out with these people. They're, they're all the pe- same people hanging out together. When we start serving on teams, it doesn't matter what those are. We put you on the same team, and you start working with people with different perspective. Let me tell you this, okay? Whatever those isms are, racism, sexism, classism... The problem is ignorance. And people misuse that word all the time, thinking it means like being mean. Ignorance means not having had any experiences to have knowledge. The reason why we might have faint things of of racism is because we've never had a friend who's a different race than us. So we haven't had to just actually meet somebody and become friends and realize, wow, we deal with a lot of the same things. We're actually a lot alike. I don't know why I've been holding this bias in my mind. And we might be sexist that we we join a group with women and we listen to them, or we join a group with men and we listen to them and realize that actually I know we have slightly different perspectives, but we're both struggling with stuff. And maybe I had a thought that that you had it all figured out, that it would be easy to be you and it'd be hard to be me, but maybe there's just different struggles that we all face. And when it comes to classes, and maybe you think all these people are the same until you get to actually meet one of them. And realize that maybe just because someone has money doesn't mean they're not generous. Or just because someone doesn't have much, maybe it's not because they're fools or because they're, they're, they're you know, unwise with their money, but they've had bad, bad circumstances in their life. And all of a sudden, when you have these experiences, it washes away the ignorance and you start losing those things. Joining a group and having these experiences and seeing different perspectives, it opens you up to this. It's one of the reasons why being part of a church is so amazing. It's so amazing. Just a while back, I commented to Amy one time. I saw a group of people hanging out after church. 
And I looked at him, and I told Amy, I said, take a look at that group. And I said, those people would never be friends if it wasn't for Acts Church. I mean, they are from completely different worlds. I mean, completely different social settings, completely, you know, different areas like this, different races. Those people, I I don't think they would find each other out of this. They, They look so different, and they come from such different perspectives. And as they are in groups and in teams, they become best of friends. It's one of the reasons why being in church is so amazing because I've realized as as I've been part of a great church, I realize my friend base, the people who I share life with, is so eclectic. There are so many different views held and so many different experiences held in the group of people who are my friends. It's amazing because it gives perspective to ideas. I'm telling you, people, when we talk about joining groups, joining teams, it's an opportunity because whatever you classify yourself is, you need friends who aren't exactly like you. If you are a middle-aged white man, you need friends who aren't just middle-aged white men. You need some people in your life who are different than you. I'm just picking on that because I'm going to be one very soon. It'll be like five days and I'll be a middle-aged white man and I'll be in that position. But I'm just saying, whatever you consider yourself, you need friends that don't look like you, that don't think like you. It's important because we believe that every person is valuable. Malcolm Forbes said this, you can easily judge the character of a man by how he treats those who can do nothing for him. Friends, if you took and laid this quote up against your life, what would your life say about your character? What would your actions, what would your deeds, what would your words, what would they say about your character? And even more important, if you're a Jesus follower, would it look like Jesus? Because that's where it goes even farther for us. If we believe that, that we're actually following after Jesus, it's not enough just to ask this character question and say, is it better than the next person? It's to ask, does it remind me of Jesus? Because that's my goal. Jesus demonstrated that every person is valuable, and that's why for us as a church, we believe every person is valuable. Pray with me. Jesus, I thank you so much for what a good God you are, I thank you, Jesus, for the fact that when you were here on this earth, you made it really, really clear in regards to this, how you valued people, how you valued all people. Jesus, I thank you so much that um, I believe that you're willing to help us. Lord, as I've even heard um, just whispers this weekend from people saying, I still have problems, I still have biases, I still have isms that are in my heart, that God, if they're willing to open themselves up to you, I know that you are faithful to send your Holy Spirit to help heal that that you are faithful to help them walk through that, to lay that aside, to, to fill their heart and push out any of those things. And I just thank you so much, Jesus, for the fact that I believe you are continually unifying our church. Jesus, we pray that we would um, have character that looks like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.